Hey, it's Coach Colette. So October 10th is World Mental Health Day. And the theme for 2021 is Mental Health in an Unequal World. And this theme really is chosen to highlight the fact that access to mental health services still remains unequal with between 75 to 95% of people with mental health issues in low and middle income countries unable to access the care that they need. And access to care in countries like the US is not much better. We know that 85 to 95% of women of color who have a mental health condition do not seek treatment. And for those who do, they're likely to be misunderstood given that only about 14 to 15% of US psychologists happen to be non-white. Given all of this, I can think of no better time than now to release this Coach Chat episode with my friend and colleague, Melody Lee. Melody Lee is a queer therapist of color and founder of Inclusive Therapists, which is a social justice-oriented mental health directory and community that celebrates the strengths and centers the needs of marginalized communities. They also are a mental health liberation activist, and they lead a movement to decolonize, disrupt, and dismantle oppressive mental health practices. In this podcast episode, we talk all about what it means to decolonize mental health and healing. Melody also shares their journey from her familial and ancestral heritage to the beginnings of her own decolonizing journey to be able to heal from internalized shame and internalized oppression and internalized white supremacy. Melody shares growing up in Hong Kong and how it was at a young age that they internalized the white supremacy myth, even though they were in an Asian body. And we talk all about colorism, classism, ableism, and all of the ways that people of color, indigenous peoples are oppressed. And yet we talk about the rich tradition of healing and the ways that we can recall and remember these traditions and use these as ways to support one another in our healing. I am also a member of Inclusive Therapists and have attended many of their virtual events and have received many referrals from people of color seeking help with their healing. So I believe very strongly in what Melody and the Inclusive Therapist team is building. We believe that all people with all identities and abilities in all bodies deserve equal access to quality mental health care. 
So tune in and listen up to this exciting episode on decolonizing mental health with Melody Lee. It's funny because I I now can't even recall how I found out about inclusive therapists. So how long have you been running that or when did you create inclusive therapists? Hmm. That's a great question. There are steps to it. Prior to inclusive therapists, um, I am the co-leader and I and I still am the co-leader of Austin Therapists of Color, which is a very dear and special community um, for us in Austin. And as you know, we have gatherings and have, you know, professional care, collective care events, then therapists in other cities start to reach out and say, I love that y'all have this. How can we start something like this in our, you know, hometown, our cities? And then so as I was exchanging ideas with folks, then this idea came to me. Seems like there really is a need for therapists with you know, marginalized identities intersectionally to come together and to have community and to lean on one another, to inspire. And so there's that part that was pre-inclusive um, therapist that kind of evolved into that. And so we officially launched in winter of 2019. And then the other side of me was the client part, the service user of just experiencing how challenging it was for me to find a therapist, especially because this field in itself is so white centric and cis heteronormative. And I'm thinking if I'm having trouble and I'm a professional in this field, certainly that folks may be experiencing challenges too. And so I wondered if there's a space where we can put these um, you know, tend to these needs together in community, but also, you know, have a directory to make it simpler and safer for people to find a therapist. So that's kind of my, you know, long way to say we officially launched in winter of 2019. And here we are. I love it. Thank you for that origin story. And I wanted to also say thank you for including other healing practitioners like myself as part of that community, because I think for me also seeking community is important as a coach and EFT tapping practitioner of color, really long, (laughs) really long title there, but you know, it's, it's really important to be able to find the community and, and see all of the great work that everyone is doing as part of the community, because I love the events. Like when I scroll through the events, I'm like, Ooh, I think I want to go to that circle. or I want to see what this practitioner is doing. So, right. I love that. It's not just for the community of the practitioners and then also helping clients, patients be able to connect with practitioners more easily. Yes. That is my heart. It's to really flatten the hierarchy the, I would say mental health field, but like mental health adjacent fields as well, still tend to be hierarchical, hegemonic in nature. And, and there still is that, oh, this is where clinicians or practitioners go. And this is where clients and service users go. It's like, actually we can be in the similar events 
we would all benefit in these events. And there's so many ways to heal. There's so many ways to tend to one another. How do we flatten that hierarchy? Um, so that is something that is important to me as kind of a decolonial praxis of saying, let's flatten this. Right, right. And I really want to dive deep into that because when you say decolonizing mental health, what, what do you mean by that? Mm, that's a juicy, juicy question. And when I think about decolonizing, I start from my origin story. Um, I'm a Hong Konger, so I was born in Hong Kong while it was under British rule. And so my people, my lineage, like we survived, lived in, and, you know, kind of navigated um, literally colonization in live time. And so we were a British colony until 1997, which is actually very recent. Yes. And when I share that with people, a lot of times people feel surprised because people think colonization is some like past or even ancient obsolete practice. It's like, no, I was born into that. I live that. And the process of ending of the technical ending of colonization is also very messy. That, you know, in 1997, when um, the Brits left, that doesn't mean that things change overnight. What it does mean is that um, there's a lot of uncertainty. And so the decolonial process is more than just in terms of politically what that means. There's also the decoloniality is really interrogating all the, all the ways that colonized people have internalized and um, and have had to assimilate to colonial systems in order to survive um, and the exploitations that we have faced um, and how do we then reclaim our ways of being and how do we now heal? <laughs> how do we reimagine our ways of being when for so long we've been told how we are supposed to be. And so I have that lived experience um, and I see the impacts of, of colonization, very recent colonization on not just me, but my communities, my relationship, my relationship with parents and so forth. And then as a migrant as well, then um, as a person of diaspora that settled into so-called Canada and recognizing, wow, this land, Turtle Island, also has a very entrenched and horrific history. I like to say their story of colonization, seeing the threads, even though, even though the timeline is different, even though the severity is certainly different, but the tactics are the same. And that there are so many, you know, um, communities of color that have faced and experienced similar things and how our mental health field really is inadequate 
at addressing and tending to these deeper historical and intergenerational traumas that we are still focusing on diagnosing and focusing on the symptoms. And that that in itself is a, is a colonial tactic as well. Hmm, how, so? well how so? In the sense of there is an urgency, right? Let's name it for what, it, what we can see. Let's make it something that is measurable. Um, that if we can look it up in the DSM, if we follow these steps and people are supposed to feel better, whereas a decolonial process is actually taking time. It's taking time to know the stories, to reconnect with maybe missing parts of stories, to seeing, oh, there's, there's so much, um, kind of the ruptures that have taken place through, you know, the horrors of colonization, genocide, enslavement, and how, how deep the trauma goes. And at the same time, can we also take time to notice the ways that we've tended to one another, the ways mm -hmm. that we've always known how to heal, even when oppressive forces have tried to attempt it to erase silence and sever our ways of being. All of this takes time that the so-called, you know, modern psychology field doesn't make time or space for. And so I'm really inspired by other practitioners that are inviting in more ways of being and healing and collaborating like yourself, Let, and saying, certainly there's a lot more to healing and to wellness than just this, than what is being sold to us. Mm -hmm. And thank you for a nice juicy answer to a juicy question. There's like so much in there. And just wanted to respond to the last thing you said about, not about me, but I can reflect upon something that I heard in another group where I was sharing about EFT tapping. And it was a group of um, people of color mentioning that that they were almost even resistant to trying tapping when it was a white person. Like, I'm almost like, I'm not, you're, I'm not going to listen to you. Don't tell me what to, what to do, or don't tell me where to tap. And it was just, and I knew people had had that experience before from coaches, you know, where someone says, I'm looking for, like we were saying, a healing or a practitioner of color, but even just right, this healing modality or any healing modality that you know can work and just the person who's sharing it or delivering it leads to whether someone will try it or not. And, and I don't know why that still even shocked me in that moment, I guess, because I wasn't expecting the person to say that, you know, because I'm always still thinking like that people don't even know about the modality, but they were like, yeah, I knew what I heard of it before, but because of who was presenting it, I just didn't even want to try it. And it was just like, 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 you know, we're always learning, right? So having those eye, eye opening aha moments, even for me in this day is still like, wow, there's still so much to do. Yes, yes. What I'm hearing is that folks are drawn to your practice. Yes, but also to the relationship, to the connection with you. And there's a sense of safety that they feel, whereas a person of color may feel 
rightfully so sometimes apprehension towards practitioners that that may not be transparent about their values that and that's I personally think that's a healthy sense of skepticism mm -hmm. right that's a good point what I heard also in what you were saying before was the word story came out so loudly to me right so when you say story meaning the stories that we bring to a healer or to a practitioner how well they receive those stories is that kind of what you meant mm, yes i believe that when we can tell our story in a space that is truly honoring a space that is slow enough to um, hold the nuances. Sometimes it's the contradictions that I can simultaneously be grateful and be grieved. That when these stories are honored, then that is when the trust is, begins to, to form. That is when the connection begins. And I think that is the beginning of healing. And why I say that is that so, so many cultures, this is what healing looks like native and indigenous cultures it's we come around and we share stories and we share stories through rituals through song through dance or just literally sitting around a fire and telling stories and then then that is how we learn how to tend to one another and also sharing lived experiences as well and saying, oh, I'm not alone in that. That can be the beginning of healing as well. And so, you know, in, in therapeutic spaces, and I think of some of these modalities like, oh, oh I'm going to call them out, <laughs> like um, say CBT, for example, or solution-focused therapy, when it's, let's bypass the stories. Let's just focus on what is happening and how do we rewire or reroute? I'm, I'm skeptical mm -hmm. because I know the power of storytelling. Right. Well, even just by the name, when you say something that is solution focused, right, you're you are just laser focused on the solution, right? That's what that is. That to me almost seems more like a consulting term than a therapeutic healing term in some ways. Yes. And from a capitalistic sense, I can see how some folks would be drawn to that because does that mean it's most efficient? Um, and there, yeah, there are these, I think for folks that are seeking a therapist, there are just so many modalities that can be overwhelming. I'm trying to say, what does this mean? And then some of these terms just seem more marketable than others, but not necessarily. Um, might not be a fit for you know individuals right and it also could be timing right like and and like is there a right time for a certain modality versus another modality yes. and can it be multiple modalities right not just mm. one thing uh so right there might be a time where it is okay let's let's try to get towards action right like that might be appropriate but not negating the fact that uncovering the root and the causes and all of it before we get to let's focus on on outcomes or a way forward or 
all of the mm. ways that we talk about it in our speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. The integration of the many forms and yeah. modalities. Yeah. One of the things, and I've talked about it, not, I actually have had um, another therapist of color on, on the podcast, actually way back in the beginning. And also with other guests, though, I've talked about, you mentioned this concept when it comes to decolonization, right? It's not just the politics, right? It's sort of what's happening to the people and how we internalize either perception. So how, how does that impact us personally, individually, and also collectively? Mm, mm, another juicy question. And I can only share from my lived experience. So growing up, being born and growing up in Hong Kong, certainly I think um, I internalized white supremacy myth really young when the images around me of celebrities, of models, of you know what are supposed to be aspirational figures were white, but I am in an Asian body, there's this um, cognitive dissonance of saying, well, I'm told that that is how I aspire to be, but I will never look that way. Um, what does that mean to me? So that's partially internalizing, you know, white supremacist ideology, but also at the same time, it's self-loathing. And so those coexisted in my body. Then if we kind of get a little bit more nuanced about colorism, and how colorism is associated with classism and ableism in you know, colonized places, then there's another layer. Then I learned to be ableist and classist. And I embody that too. And then, oh, on top of that, there's also you know, the colonial church that held a lot of power in Hong Kong um, under the guise of missionary work, under the guise of building schools and churches, but at the same time, it's really um, indoctrinating folks like myself with um, a lot of really harmful things like, you know, cis-heteronormativity, for example. Um, and, you know, as a person in a queer body, thinking, oh, in order for me to be saved, I actually need to sever and reject or hide or suffocate parts of myself. I had to, I, I embodied that as well. And so I carried all of these things with me, but I didn't have the language for it. I didn't um, have folks to help me explore. In fact, I was told not to explore. That if I were to explore, then something terrible would happen. And then, so all of these pieces that needed healing, yes, it is embodied in me, but this is also a collective story that there are others right alongside me, including my parents, their parents, my ancestors that felt that rupture, but saying either don't, can't put words to it, or it's too painful to talk about it, or there's no space to talk about it because we just need to survive. And so starting to have space to tend to these parts 
and recognizing the harm that I perpetuated because of these, you know, internalized colonial concepts and, you know, tending to ruptures, seeking repair um, with others and also within myself is kind of the start of the decolonial journey and to, you know, connect with other folks that are on their journeys too. And it's like, yes, we can heal together, that we can put the, 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 that shame to rest and say, we didn't invent this. I didn't invent queer phobia. I experienced it and I have perpetuated it. But now that I recognize it, I can seek repair in community and how can we heal? And then how do we also then learn to re-embrace and celebrate our colorful ways of being. Mm, mm, that's so wonderful. Yeah, I think, and I I can personally relate as well in terms of conversations that aren't had, right? About, you know, I, I've even said that to my parents or not that something similar around, you know, we talk about physical health things that are passed down, right? Like high blood pressure or diabetes, or this person had a stroke, right? But there really weren't conversations about mental health and well-being. There weren't conversations about um, gender identities or, you know, so all of these things, right? You, you might have a rumor of, oh, there was someone that may be something, right? But it wasn't something that was talked about in families. So, right. So it's like when we, when we then as individuals, how do we all come to our own um, acceptance of self when, again, in, in any of those situations, right? If you feel like you are different, than others, even within your family, or these conversations aren't safe to have. Um, I think that, yeah, there's that, there's the pressure of the ancestral trauma, the pressure of the familial trauma trauma as well. Yes, yes, I resonate with that. And that also makes me curious about how one defines family too. Say more, what do you mean? I'm learning that my definition of family is a lot more expansive now that I certainly, and I think this is something that, you know, folks in um, the queer community can relate to that there is, but I will speak, you know, specifically as an East Asian, like family is for us is a a beautifully um, important structure And at the same time, the rigidity can be confining for folks where they can't bring all of the parts of self in. And so when it comes to like chosen family, for example, um, people that I now choose to journey through life with, um, people that I'm like, we're in this together and we are going to celebrate, and then we're also going to go through hardships together, then I'm able to maybe in a way reclaim ways of um, being in kinship with one another, even if that may not be fully available to me in this moment with my blood family. And that can be healing as well. And I still hold on to hope that the, you know, seeing that it's really 
the the family community and lineage that that deserves healing and that's going to take time but in the meantime it's it's nice to yeah have an expanded definition of family Hmm, I love that. And the word kinship. Yeah, that's such a great word that I don't think gets used often enough. You hear a lot about relationship or friendship, but not kinship. And I feel like that that has such a rich meaning and such a rich context to think about that. And there was something else that you were saying earlier about this, how we tend to one another, right? To me, I feel like that's, that's a thread with kinship. Would, would you agree? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when I think of kinship, I think that we all can show up just as ourselves, that we know that we are cherished and loved and honored and respected, and that we tend to one another, that one person's need does, is not prioritized over someone else's, and we stay attuned to, to one another um, through different seasons of life. Do you wear your busy badge so proudly that you forget to take breaks or eat lunch? Hi, it's Coach Colette. I know we've all experienced a lot of stress, particularly in the past year. That's why it's crucial for you to proactively create opportunities for self-care and self-love. Want to see what it's like to commit to seven days of self-care and me time? Then get my new resource, Seven Days of Self-Care. It's an e-journal that can be a resource of inspiration and ideas to help you find new ways to care for yourself physically, mentally, and spiritually. As Audre Lorde says, Self-care is not self-indulgent. It's an act of self-preservation. So go to gum.co forward slash self-care e-journal to claim your copy of this new resource. It will help you to be able to support yourself, find time for me time, and allow yourself permission to thrive. Go to gum.co forward slash self-care e-journal to claim your me time. Right. Yeah. I think that that's interesting that you say that it's, it's making me think particularly in this past year when there have been so many issues, whether it's violence, whether it's it's the pandemic, whether it's lockdown, social, social isolation, I feel like connections have shifted, right? And how is it that we do tend to one another in, in these different dynamics? Does that resonate at all with you? Absolutely, it does. Mm. Mm. Yes. And with so many things that is happening and a lot of these things, as you're sharing about violence, about oppression, these are painful and um, painful loss filled moments or seasons. Where do we go to receive care? 
where do we go to say, I, I need a shoulder to cry on. I need someone to lean on. And during the pandemic, I think that's especially challenging for me because there's this assumption that everybody is struggling and that is true. And who are the people that we know they have got you know, our back, that it's reciprocal, that I've got theirs too. Do we have the courage to check in with one another? Do we have the courage to ask for help? I think this is, yeah, this has been illuminating times um, during the pandemic and with, you know, all of the challenging, um, difficult things that's happening to kind of, in a way, challenge me to relate deeper that this is more than hey you want to go for to get a happy hour it's can we be in the hard stuff together can we move through this together can we lean on one another when you're hurting can i be mindful to hold space for you when i'm hurting are you checking in with me it's a different way of relating i so resonate with that because i feel like in the beginning right the connection was everybody had a virtual happy hour, right? Whether it was a group or friends, right? And what I noticed, right, as those started to fizzle away, right? A, then what were the communities that stepped up? Like, I mean, it probably wasn't necessarily connected just to the pandemic, but like, you know, the the monthly group, the chats that you have um, that through inclusive therapists, or even it's different people now that I am connected to for that. Like, I love what you said around that sort of reciprocity around holding space for one another. It's not the same as in the beginning. So like, you know, months and months over a year ago, right? Those connections aren't necessarily the same connections as now. Yes, I see that too. And I see the continuation of that momentum through our monthly fireside chats when folks would show up month and month again, and we would just pick up from conversations. And especially seeing how so many communities that have been marginalized are hurting simultaneously, right? Different communities of color experiencing different forms of violence, oppression, and also all the anti-trans bills that are, you know, and all the anti-LGBTQ plus uh, forms of oppression that is happening with so many communities that are hurting. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming. It's like, well, who are we tending to? Um, And just seeing the way that communities are able to tend to one another, that gives me hope, right? Today, this community is in acute crisis. Let's come around them. And then the next day, it could be mine. It could be anti-Asian violence is acute that day. And I feel folks coming around me. And that gives me the resource to give back to community. And that is something that has given me a lot of hope to witness that we do know how to do this. And we've been doing this. And we can continue to do this. Right. And I feel like that there is sometimes a culture of remembering, right? Because if we sort of take it back to what you were saying earlier around decolonizing mental health, right? Coming together in community and, you know, 
whatever, whatever circle, whether there was a fire or not, like whatever it is, like all many of our traditions have that. And, and we've in many ways stepped away from that, but now it's like remembering and reclaiming these traditions that are part of healing. How does that resonate with you? Oh, so, so much. So, so, so much. So the reclaiming. Yes. Mm. And also seeing how that so much richness is also being co-created as well, um, that there's more um, diversity, that there is even more inclusion as we engage with one another. And that continues to, to bubble and expand. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, it's, and I don't wanna make it as opposite because I loved what you said earlier about and I feel like in our in the Western culture, there's a lot of or, right? It has mm. to be this or this. But I wanted to ask the question and hear your thoughts around the need and or importance of distinct either communities or circles, right? People are like, oh, well, why is it, you know, why are you focusing on people of color or why focusing on LGBTQ plus, right? What is the importance of having those um, safe healing, I love you said, liberated oriented circles or communities? Why is that so important? Mm. When looking at circles and spaces, I think it's important to first be clear about the purpose and the intentionality. Healing circles are sacred and having choice of who to invite into the healing circle, um, I think is something that needs to be, you know, looked at with intention. I'm navigating this question carefully. I'll speak from my lived experience that when I'm in, I'm just gonna talk about maybe my racial part for a moment that I've experienced um, in mixed spaces that I do find myself having to be on guard, having to be vigilant. I spend a lot of time, you know, educating in, in these spaces. And so, um, am I willing to do that? Sure. But that would have to meet the intent of that gathering space. If I'm expected to show up and I'm okay with um, educating of, of dialogue um, in, these, in these ways. However, if I'm seeking a healing space, I would look for a different space one where I don't have to explain myself, where I don't need to be on guard or vigilant where um, my healing and my story, especially my stories of trauma, will not be analyzed or interpreted through white gaze, that feels important to me. And so I think there can be so many different ways to gather that can be can serve different purposes. And checking in with intent is typically my first, step. How about for you, Colette? Love to hear your thoughts. I love what you said about intention and intentionality, right? So what is the intent of the group? 
And I also feel similarly in terms of, right, if I'm, if I'm coming to receive, then, right, I mean, not to say that I can't give, but giving in a way that is healing or supportive of others, listening, witnessing, holding space, right, but not having to justify, define, explain, uh, beyond just the normal, right? If you're saying something and something happened, there might be some context you need to sh- say like, oh, it happened with this person who's a friend of mine, or right? Like there's that context, but not having to explain specific aspects of uh, my identity or ethnicity, race, whatever that might be. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And what I think is interesting in what we're talking about, I guess the one word we sort of haven't mentioned, right? It's the intersectionality of all of these things, right? And so then there's the overlap and the connection and then how, how does one find support in healing given that we all are multiple identities, right? Not, none of us are just one thing, except I guess for being human. But other than that, we all have other identities within that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we are all interconnected. And I think that is something really beautiful about the human experience that we can all relate in so many ways. And then there's also the recognition, unfortunately, that we operate in systems that attempt to allow, you know, certain defined groups to hoard or hold more power than others. And so exploring the power dynamics at play is important and being conscious of how we, each of us hold identity parts that hold more power and privilege and some that have been marginalized or silenced or attempted to be erased. And can we have awareness of that? And can we also have some common, maybe agreement with how to be in a collective space that is honoring, especially of parts that have been historically or traditionally marginalized. That is important for our fireside chats and also just really the ethos of inclusive therapists to begin with is to center. It's to celebrate and center the needs of people with marginalized identities because these spaces are much rarer to find and they are precious and sacred. And I do feel a little bit protective of that. And I love how diverse our community is and that there is that agreement that we will look at the power dynamics, that we will pay attention and to be, to be sensitive and to be careful in order to tend to one another well. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel like, and some something that I have thought of, again, I guess I can speak from personal, right, like you're saying, personal experience, and then also thinking of other uh, more prominent Black women, women of color, 
I feel like that there's often this sense of who gets to have their, how do I wanna say this? Who gets to have their mental health concerns taken seriously? Who gets to have their mental health concerns uh, honored, not devalued? And, you know, like, do I, I, like to me, it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's a privilege in some ways to be taken seriously if, if, you, if you say, right, I'm struggling with anxiety or I'm struggling with depression and people being like, oh, wow, like let's get you support versus kind of like, oh, it'll be okay. Or right, sort of the, the, the dismissal of it or, or, you know, I mean, it, within my own narrative, right? There's the strong black woman narrative, right? Like, you know, well, you know, you're okay, right? You you can handle this kind of a thing. And so it's it's this ability to be able to say that yes, all of us have the right to be able to articulate what's going on for us and have that story again be val validated or valued. Does that resonate at all? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So much. So thank you for sharing as well. And <sighs> to have our stories be validated and valued. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. that that's so true. And, you know, there are so many, and I guess in some ways, when you think of prominent folks, Meghan Markle, Naomi Osaka, Michelle Obama, like that have spoken about their own journeys, right? And then presumably maybe that gives the space for others of us to be able to articulate and if we choose to articulate, right, there's this other thing, I don't know, and particularly as a therapist, I'd love to hear this, right? How much of it do you share or how much do you need to share, right? If you were saying like, whether it's needing time off or doing whatever it is that you need to do, how transparent do you need to be in order to just, again, have the story be validated and valued? Yes. and in institutions that seems like there is a lot that a person has to prove in order to say that I am deserving of care, <laughs> that I have to do all of this paperwork and I have to be able to justify as opposed to just saying that person knows what they need. Can we honor that? And I really hope that with these more conversations about wellness, um, about parental leave, for example, you know, of mental health care days, of trusting our people, right? Trusting that they know what they need and they have the right to advocate for what they need. And should they choose to share, you know, that shouldn't be necessary. I'm hopeful for, for more of this shift of believing folks and also believing that their wellness also creates um, wellness in relationships and community within workspaces as well. That this isn't just an individual effect, that we can cultivate cultures, work cultures that tend to the person first. Mm. Right, because there's a lot of com conversation around bring your full self to work but then, right, well, where am I bringing myself to, right? Like, do I feel safe 
bringing my quote full self to work. So one of the questions that I ask all of my guests is what does start within mean to you? Mm. Start within means a couple things to me in our conversation, Coach Colette, we've touched on story that start within when it comes to my healing journey means getting to know myself, getting to know my lineage, getting to know um, not only my, but our people's story. And from that place of healing and restoration and reclamation, then I can you know, invite in other folks to say, hey, we are in this healing journey together. Would you like to collaborate? Which I think is different from the Western model of psychology, which is uh, the therapist is the blank slate <laughs> or the therapist is the expert or the therapist is the knower and um, that the work um, happens in the therapeutic space is actually the healing work starts from within, within the healer and the therapist first. And another thing that start within means to me is when you asked me about how inclusive therapists came to be, whenever I see a need in community that's not being met, there's this fire that starts within me and I go, oh, there's a need that's not being met. Who is, who is tending to that need? What's being done? Have other people noticed? And then I feel this fire and I will investigate. How is this need? Why is this need not being met? What is being done? And if I see that it's not being met and it's maybe ignored or maybe minimized, then that fire keeps burning and go, okay, who else is noticing? Who can I connect with? Is there something that needs to be done? And I love that fire. Sometimes that fire gets me in trouble because then I'm like, I want to do all the things. So I'm learning to slow down and to investigate first who else is tending to this. Is this truly a need? <laughs> but I love that fire within me and also connecting with other folks that can relate to that and say, yes, I noticed this need and I felt inspired to learn more and to this may sound capitalistic, but maybe create a niche, right? Whatever language feels well with a person or this is this became my pursuit or my um, area of focus. And I think, yes, um, I love, love that so much. And that's how I can relate with, start within. I love that. And I love the fire. And, and I speak about that in, in my, philosophy around, right? Feeling the fire in the belly. And I love though, how you tempered that or showed that you have that awareness of, right? Because the fire burning untended, right? Then that's, that can cause damage versus when channeled, it creates magic. Receiving, receiving that. When channeled, it creates magic. Thank you. Right. And, and the other question that I often ask is, right, how is it that you do take care of your, how do you tend to your fire? <laughs> mm, mm. So one way I tend to that fire is I need to move my body. 
that's really important to me because otherwise I would feel restless. I would be feel unfocused. And that's usually how I start off my day. Um, I have the privilege to move my body. And so I try to prioritize that first thing in the morning. I love to lift. I love to lift heavy. And I think a lot of my fire gets channeled into just doing challenging things. And I afterwards feel more grounded and more focused. And that helps me tend to and channel my fire. Um, and then there are softer parts of me. I just love to play and be silly. I am the fortunate parent of two adorable pugs. And they, they keep me on my toes and we like to run around outside. And so tending to that child part too, because a lot of the work that I do, and I imagine you do too, Coach Colette, is sometimes heavy. And we sit in pain with folks and grief and disappointment and losses. And to find balance, I love to eat delicious food, be silly um, run around. And those are my favorite ways to, yeah, to find balance. Mm, That sounds yummy. Yeah. And I think that the rediscovering of the, the childlike wonder or the play aspects are so important and it's something I know. And, and yet I know that I can do more of even for myself, right? Like, how is it that just silly. And, and how I notice it sometimes is something will be just really funny and I'll laugh and I can feel it's like belly laugh. And it's like, wow, it's been a while since I've had that laugh, right? You know, like there's the laugh, the polite conversation laugh, but sometimes when it gets you like right in the solar plexus, it's like, oh yeah, I, I need to remember to laugh like this more often. Mm-hmm. I am with you. I love those laughs. And I was just saying over the weekend, that that is my love language. If someone can make me belly laugh like that, I'm like, mm, that is sexy to me. I feel connected. Oh, that's great. I love that. I, th- we need to add that to, to love languages or maybe we need to come up with our own five love languages. There we go. Mm-hmm. The, the inclusive therapists start within <laughs> languages of love, which are gonna be way more inclusive. And I also wanted to acknowledge and thank you for uh, recognizing the the privilege, right? Because I think that that's also important when you're in like, whether it's ableist, all of the things that we do have privilege in, because I think that then sometimes, because it is heavy, right? With all the stuff we're dealing with to then still be in essence, grateful, right? For the, for the rights and the privileges and the ability abilities that we have at the same time, if that resonates at all. Very much so. So gratitude practice and reflecting on my privileges and how do I use my privilege for good to uplift is something that I reflect on daily. Absolutely. So, so how can folks learn more? How can our listeners learn more about inclusive therapists and any other work that you are doing that they may benefit from? Thank you for asking. The best way to get connected with inclusive therapists is to visit our website and click the join button. And there are a couple tiers of membership. And I 
definitely want to speak to the scholar membership, which is free for all learners. Once you join, then you'll get notified about our upcoming fireside chats, other community events, and you'll be also invited into our members only space where we can dialogue more and you can um, find other folks with similar passions, um, learn about um, yeah, the happenings in the community. And you can also follow us on social media at Inclusive Therapists. If you would like to get to know more about my work in education and speaking um, in decoloniality, you can find me on my website, melodylee.com or at Melody Hope Lee. Yay. And we'll make sure to include those links in the show notes. And yes, I, I can say personally that I've, I've really enjoyed being part of the community and participating in the chats. And like I said, seeing other people's circles and events and just seeing all of the work that is being done, right? Because you're right. Sometimes when we sit either in the pain with someone or our own pain or all of the other stuff, it can get overwhelming. So it's always, it's always helpful for me also to see the work that so many um, people are doing and that there is support out there um, for, for people of color and all marginalized groups. Thank you so, so much. Mm, this was, this was rich. I knew it was going to be, and I love that I had no idea before we sat down exactly how it would go. And thank you so much for bringing all of you to this episode. Thank you. And thank you for all the work that you are doing, mm, all the spaces that you're creating and for this podcast. This is powerful. This is powerful. I'm so, so honored to be invited. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and haven't already subscribed, you can do so on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. You also can connect with me on Instagram at coach underscore Colette for more inspiration on personal growth and wellness. Stay tuned for another episode of Coach Chat and get ready to start within to finish strong.